0: author and activist glennon doyle melton said that life is hard not because you are doing it wrong but because life is hard how we cope with the life we have been given can be the ticket to isolation frustration and self-destruction or the key to our happiness we all get ourselves into a cycle of habits that either serve us or destroy us and during this podcast Today, we are going to shine high beams on the negative habits that are bringing us and our children down and the tools and the takeaways that can help us embrace happiness again life coach, author, and self-described hellraiser, Andrea Owen is passionate about empowering women to value themselves and fiercely love who they are. She helps high-achieving women let go of perfectionism, control, and isolation, urging them to choose courage and confidence instead. Her new book is called How to Stop Feeling Like Beep bleeping that word out just in case there's little ears listening, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back From Happiness. You can learn more about Andrea and her new book in the show notes of this podcast or on kickasslife.com. So much to learn about habits and happiness today. We are so grateful you are here. So welcome, Andrea, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything.
1: Dr. Robin, I'm so glad to be here talking to you.
0: It's so much fun to have you because, you know, we haven't seen each other in so long and so it's like two gals having coffee at the same time doing a podcast. Doing
1: so, <laughs> a podcast and helping <laughs> helping parents. Yes. Yeah, so you know, sort of
0: like a side of side of helping people, but also together hanging out, having good conversation. So before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you and read your book, could you please just tell us what gets you up in the morning and what has led you to your work on the detrimental habits that are holding people back from happiness?
1: That's a great question. Okay, so what gets me up, the first thing that came to my mind when you said that was, well, actually my alarm, (laughs) I was never really that much of a you know, a a. 6am morning person until I had children, but now I am. And I now I'm totally forgetting your second question. Like,
0: how did you get into this work on this, all these habits that are holding people back?
1: Habits. Yes. So it was, so, you know, I wrote my first book and as, as you can relate to Robin, I, afterwards I was like, that is the last time I'm doing that because yes. it was so much work. It's sort yes. of like having a hard pregnancy and labor and hard, and hard newborn. And someone's like, when are you going to have another baby? Mm. Never. So, <laughs> but what ended up happening is I was paying attention to my clients and the women in my classes, the women in my community and to my own life as well. And I came up with five habits I believe back then it was, uh, this was like around 2014, 2015, I, I asked my community, which one of these do you struggle with the most? And it was inner critic, isolating and hiding out, control, perfectionism, or people pleasing and there was no real winner mm-hmm. there was most of the women said um i struggle with all of those yes. and so that got me thinking some more and i took a couple of years to really pay attention and just get curious about all of those and then it sort of branched out from there and i came up with 14 of them which was the birth of of my latest book
0: so, you know, you talk about in the intro of your book that you really lived this, you had to this is not just you advising others, yeah. you have had to embrace these habits because of some hard stuff that was handed to you along the way. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, it was it was interesting time in my life in in around 2006. What what happened was is I was married before to someone I had been with for a long time and uh, we were discussing trying to start a family and, and trying to conceive our first child and my then husband decided to have an affair and mm. uh got our neighbor pregnant. Oh, <laughs> and gosh, that was it was awful. It was so awful and it just like sent this ripple through his entire family and it just it was it was dramatic and traumatic Mm -hmm. at the same time Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. I did what I probably shouldn't have done is I immediately went out and started dating Mm -hmm. and I met someone whom I thought was great and it turns out you know nine or ten months into that relationship it turns out he had lied about having cancer and he was um, addicted to opioids and had had used that story to to try to cover it up and had conned me out of money and I was actually pregnant at the end of that relationship with this child and so I was faced with a choice, or, or actually more to the story was that he went to an inpatient, he agreed to go to an inpatient rehab facility and try to um, get clean and sober. And I was willing to forgive him because I didn't have any, I, I didn't know what it was like to be with an addict. I didn't know what I was walking into. Mm-hmm. And I do know that there are many, many people out there, myself included, who 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 recover and and um, end up, you know, for lack of a better term, living happily ever after, if Mm -hmm. any of us really do that. And that's what I was hoping for. And unfortunately, he met someone in rehab whom he fell in love with, and we broke up. Mm -hmm. So it was a moment where I found myself literally on the floor, Robin, Mm -hmm. like in the Mm -hmm. fetal position, Mm -hmm. hysterically crying to my sister. And I was saying to myself, how did I get here? Because this is not how I imagined my life to be. I just, I wanted to figure it out in my whole life. I had blamed everybody else. You know, if if that person would just get themselves together, if, if this would just, you know, this, this would work out for me. And I finally, throughout the course of the next few weeks after that happened, decided, you know, I kind of looked in the mirror and was like, well, maybe it's me. Not that these people hadn't done awful things to me, Mm -hmm. but I had to take some of the responsibility. I had not trusted my intuition in both of those relationships. Mm. And I really had just not ever taken it upon myself to change my life and make myself happy. Mm -hmm. So that was the beginning of my own personal development journey.
0: That is fascinating. And I I really love that you're coming from a place of authenticity. You're talking about your own struggles so that you're able to come up with these habits, not just because you're applying them to what your clients have said, but what you needed to get up off the floor. So I would love to know from you in a nutshell, what do you think is the key to happiness then? Is it about the accountability? Is it about Going with the flow? What What is it for you?
1: Oh, my gosh. I think if you asked, you know, 10 different self-help people, you're going to get 10 different answers on any given day, mm-hmm. right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just thought you might be able to give me just like a very neat couple of words. Not <laughs> to wrap it up with a bow.
1: The first thing that came to me when you said that, I think so much of it is grounded in gratitude. Mm-hmm. And being thankful for what you have—that's actually one of the first exercises I did. So when that happened to me, when I had my really was my rock bottom moment, that was right when the movie *The Secret* had come out. Oh, and I yes. know it was a book before that, so yes. it was it was all the rage and personal development. And and I watched it, and and that those lessons are, are heavily laden in um, gratitude. And that was my challenge was to name ten things I was grateful for. And I remember thinking, "You've got to be kidding me, mm-hmm. right? Like do you know what my life looks like right now. <laughs> do you mm-hmm. know what my circumstances." Mm-hmm. And I did it. I wrote down 10 things I was grateful for. And it surprised me that that given where I was at, given that I I hated where I was, I had so much shame around where my life was at that time, I was able to come up with 10 things I was grateful for. So it, that really sparked something inside of me that gave me hope for that I could create my own happiness. Mm-hmm
0: it oh, 's amazing, and you know you talk a lot about these habits throughout the book and and you do provide some incredible tips and takeaways that everybody can use and i i 'm so excited to talk about those, but what I would like to talk about first is. One of the, the very first habits that you talk about in the book, we all have a voice inside our heads that tell us ugly things at times that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, not good looking enough, not popular enough, not enough. And mm. in coaching – We call this voice the gremlin, or the inner bully, or the inner critic. And this is not something that just adults have. This critical voice starts early, it can be loud, and it can get in the way of our goals, our activities, our life, even as children. So my question for you is, when would be a good time for us to talk to our kids about the inner critic, and how is it that we can bring it up?
1: That's such a good question, and I love because my audience, like I don't work specifically with children Mm -hmm. or parents, so I love when I get to talk about this. This this is
0: one of my favorite things too: is challenging those who work for the adult audience to then channel it down (laughs) because you know that when we start early, we're all better off. So we're going to translate it down to our children, and of course, we can take this and understand that we can use it ourselves as well.
1: Yes. And I I love this question because I'm going to say one of the same things that I say to everyone and that it's that the inner critic is universal. We all have it it can sound different. And I also want to say one thing too, is that it doesn't always look like an articulation or doesn't sound like I should say an articulation of thoughts or an inner dialogue. Mm -hmm. For some people, it is an overall just feeling like a wash overall that they feel not enough Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because again, it manifests differently for people. And what Mm -hmm. I also want to make really clear is that I don't believe that we can completely get rid of this Voice or feeling. I think mm-hmm. that even people who who write books specifically on this, people who study negative self-talk and and shame, you know people like dr. brene brown and and Oprah, they still hear it. Mm-hmm. The difference is, mm-hmm. is that they've learned to recognize it so quickly for what it is, and they are able to either turn it around or, simply move past it. I found that to be true in my experience as well. Don't don't you think do you agree with me on
0: that? Yes, I absolutely do. That and and I, I just like the idea that we need to even acknowledge that. It's not about obliterating the voice. It's about now understanding that it's there and then how we cope with it.
1: Yes. And, and hopefully the space in between when you realize it and, you know, because for me, I used to let it run away, you know, and I used to sure. base my feelings and decisions on that voice. And that's what I don't want for people. I want the wind to be that they hear it very quickly and they can do something about that in a short amount of time. And so what I, you know, to, to go back and answer your question is that, you know, as far as Is putting an age on it I'm not really sure so I'm trying to think so my son is 10 he is now in fourth grade and my daughter I have an eight-year-old daughter and she is in second grade Mm -hmm. and they're both at the at the point where yes I know that they have it and I'm trying to think when it really first started for my son and I think it was for him around second grade and he was he had come I picked him up from school and he got in the car and I could tell you know he was bummed out about something and something had happened in class whether he raised his hand and gave an answer and it was the wrong answer hmm. or something ha- hap- i mean you know how this goes yes. in elementary school and beyond yeah. but it's like that that moment of feeling like you're wrong or that people are laughing at you Sorry. or you know that you're not like the others that ooh that feeling we all know that yes. feeling yes. and so it was really interesting because in that moment I had not prepared for this moment. You know, like here I am, sure, someone right. teaches this, and <laughs> and it's my
0: child, and all I want to do. <laughs> I know. Believe me, I feel like I'm in that situation all the time. I'm oh, like, yeah. I do this all the time, and yet I'm like, what?
1: <laughs> oh, when it comes to your own children, it's like maybe we should homeschool you. Yeah, <laughs> That's exactly. Mama maybe bear is coming not for you. Yes. <laughs> but I, I didn't. And the first thing that I did is I said. Oh man, you know what? I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And it was and he looked at me like, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and then I thought, oh my gosh, maybe part of the key to this is empathy. Mm-hmm. And my son also struggles with anxiety, not as much as he used to, but in those first, second grade, kindergarten, first, second grade, we we really, really struggled with it. Mm-hmm. And I do as well. Mm-hmm. And have learned how to manage my own symptoms. So That was another thing, too, where I would I would go in and just tell him just basically just so much empathy and say, oh, honey, I know how this feels. And it is absolutely just the worst, isn't it? I just I I get it. Do you need a hug? And I would just sit with him while he was in it. And then I would start to talk to him about it and ask him questions and say, well, what is what is it that you think what was happening before? you had that thought and then just ask him things like, do you think that thought is really true? And, and teaching him to separate the facts. So for instance, that example that I gave about him raising his hand and getting the wrong answer. So the fact was that he did, he didn't have the right answer and that is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And, and, and allowing him to understand about the stories that he was making up about himself in regards to the fact that he had the wrong answer. So that was I found that to be helpful. And I kind of just did that on the fly
0: <laughs> mm, <so smart. laughs> in a panic. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: That was, that was one of the things that, that I did. And, um, and really also what, another thing that's sort of indirectly related that I teach my children is that I just had to, over the weekend, talk to my son about this cause he slammed his door and he was mad because I would not let him have any more screen time. So That's I always terrible. tell them, <laughs> I, know, I always tell them, you are allowed to feel whatever you feel. Mm-hmm. Your feelings are never wrong. And the reason that I tell them that is because I think that, I think maybe all of us understand what it feels like as a child and as an adult to be made wrong for how we're feeling. Mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. how we're feeling. Like, don't be mad about that. You don't get any more screen time. You shouldn't be mad about that. Right. And so I tell them, you're allowed to feel whatever you feel. You're allowed to be mad at me, but you are responsible for your behavior. In other words, no slamming doors, no being nasty to me, no being disrespectful. But again, you're allowed to be mad at me. You're allowed to feel what you feel. And if you do any of those behaviors, we need you to clean it up. Mm -hmm. We need you to clean up your mess, just like you would clean up your mess if you spilled goldfish crack all over the floor. So those are the main messages. And that's I'm kind of at the point where now at this age, that's all I need mm-hmm. because even that's kind of a lot.
0: <laughs> right. No, I think it was, those are really genius. Those are incredibly important. We just recently uh, launched a podcast with Dawn Huebner, who does a great deal on fear and anxiety. Uh, and it, it was just an incredible podcast with lots of tips and scripts. And one of the things she also underscores is that ability to separate fact from fiction? You know, what is really true? And then what is more your brain sort of you know, taking hold of you and saying this is actually what's happening when it may very well not like there. It's you, your worry becomes sort of a worry wart. Oh, but this might happen. But this is what they were thinking. And so it's really important to be able to, you know, talk about what actually is true. And the other thing that came to mind when you were talking is um, Elizabeth Gilbert, who you know wrote You Pray Love. And she she talks a lot about all kinds of incredible things. But one of the things that really I loved when she was talking, about uh, fear having a space in your car, but not allowing to touch the radio yes. or you know telling telling you where to go, mm-hmm. you know. And I talk about that with my kids too. My daughter especially, with you know, has more of that sort of fear anxiety where you know she she starts to kind of, it kind of runs away with her. And I'm like, "Who's driving your bus?" And we we've talked mm-hmm. extensively about who's driving her bus, um, and and just having that ability to kind of separate yourself out from the things that are actually happening the worries that you have the fears that you're having and that kind of take hold of you and tell you well this is really what's going on and you can then talk back to it and challenge it and say no this is this is not what's really going on this is my inner critic telling me you know either lies or you know making me think something that's not actually true
1: yeah, yeah exactly well and and I remember that day my son said in when he was telling me the story he said i got the i got the answer wrong, and i thought i can't honestly I can't remember if like somebody that was next to him laughed or he thought that somebody laughed or something like that. And he said, and it made me feel so stupid. Mm, So when your kids are telling you the story like that, that's an indicator, you know, those, those types of, that type of language, the story he was making up was that he was stupid. And so that's where, that's what I helped him break down. Like you were saying, what is fact and what
0: is fiction? Mm -hmm. I I love it. I think that's a great way of going about it. And it's a tool that they can use forever. um, Even as they become adults and, and parents like us, So and in in that same vein, what about us as parents? We certainly have our own tango with our inner critic. So do you find that it's just as important for us to do our own work around this? And does our inner critic kind of look similar to what's plaguing our kids? What have you found?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, wouldn't it have been great if we were all raised with these great lessons of personal development (laughs) and for us? most of the time my my mom laughs because she's like, honey, self-help was not really a thing.
0: (laughs) You're like, that was a good idea. (laughs) This inner critic thing is like really good, but I did not know about it. (laughs) I did not know about this. So yeah, most of us are are
1: just learning about this in our Mm -hmm. thirties, forties and beyond. And you can use the same lessons that I gave you a few minutes ago, and what I like to do, and this is what I teach my clients. And mm-hmm. it's, it, there was—it was not an accident that this was the very first chapter of my book. I'm excited to hear these.
0: I really—it's not that I ever have a problem with this. Not at
1: all. <laughs> But, um, I think it's helpful to break down the areas of your life first, because if you're doing if you're just starting with inner critic work, it can be overwhelming to look at your entire life. So break down the areas of your life. It might be your work and your career or if you own your own business, your partnership if you're in one or your dating life um uh, parenting and uh for for women, our number one inner critic slash shame trigger tends to be our body and appearance, which I know you are also the expert on Dr. Robin. So (laughs) that can be its own area of inner critic. And for many people too, it's, it's great to break down, to have an entire sort of column, if you will, of your past Mm -hmm. and your future goals and aspirations. So those are just some examples of of different areas. And my question is, what does your inner critic say about each of those Mm. areas? Mm. And maybe just start with one area. Because this can be an emotional exercise. This is—I'm not, not going to sit here and tell you it's fun and comfortable and you know, throw confetti. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, this is, this is tricky. It's a little and, painful. Yeah, digging those is. things up and ripping off
1: band-aids. Ripping off the band-aid, but you have—you can't change what you don't know isn't working. That's what I always say. You mm. cannot change what you don't know isn't working, and for many people this voice is playing in the background. It's background music that you have just gotten so used to hearing yes. that you barely even notice that it's there. Right. We get comfortable being uncomfortable in that sense. And I would start there. And then when you, you know, the, the next question I get, because what my I want people to do when they do this exercise is to be able to recognize it quickly when it's happening like you know that this one area like your your job is is really hard for you you know comparison comparison is a huge thing for the inner critic to to latch onto and the question i get pretty often is how do i know when it's speaking to me you know what's a trick that i can use so i can catch it faster
0: mm-hmm. and
1: my answer to that is what are your biggest triggers and for many we'll we'll take the body and an appearance when. When you step out of the shower or the bathtub and you are naked and you're looking in the mirror, what do you say to yourself?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is it, are your thoughts kind and compassionate? Are they, do not say anything at all? Is it neutral? Or are you picking yourself apart?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: That's that's a way to, to find out. Or is there someone at your work that you are constantly comparing yourself mm-hmm. to? You
0: started mm-hmm. around the
1: same time and that person has a master's degree and you don't. And you are worried that he's going to get a promotion before you. So is that a trigger of yours? What does your inner critic have to say about that? So sometimes it takes a little bit of kind of concentration and focus on one particular
0: area to be able to kind of dig it out. And then what is the next step from that once you have decided that each time you get out of the shower and you look in the mirror, you say something negative to yourself or every time you're at work and you cross paths with that person that you have those thoughts, what's your next, next thing beyond acknowledging that that's happening?
1: Well, and this might surprise you, because I think, if you know, there, there are many self help experts that will tell you to turn it into a positive thought and, you know, say positive affirmations to mm-hmm, yourself. Mm-hmm. I actually don't encourage that because what I have found to be true in my own Work and the work of many of my clients is that are you know kind of BS meters. Yeah, go no off. kidding, right? And, and you know we're like, really, that's not true. This this positive <laughs> thought. No, I actually don't look like a Miss America contestant right now, <laughs> looking in the mirror. And so, what I ask people to do is just like you said, acknowledge it and have a mantra. So a mantra is a short, powerful statement, and the mantras that I encourage people to have have no charge to them. So in other words, they're not necessarily positive and they're not necessarily negative. The one I use is I say to myself, well, that just happened. <laughs> and what I'm doing is I am, you know, if let's use that metaphor, I love the metaphor of your inner critic being the driver of mm-hmm. your bus. Yes. And so, you know, it's as if you're, you're in the passenger seat because your inner critic is driving yes. at that moment. Yes. And you turn to your inner critic and you're like, oh, okay you're clearly the driver right now. Right. What am I going to, what am I going to do about that? Yeah. And it just, again, it, because at the end of the day, Robin, our inner critics are trying to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. They do not want us to rock the boat. They do not want us to change anything. And that's why our inner critics get really chatty when we're thinking about going for a promotion mm-hmm. or asking mm-hmm. for a raise or, um, you know, asking someone out on a date, mm-hmm. things like that. So it's, I'm not a fan of having a fierce throwdown with your inner critic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's, to me, it's bullying the bully. And I don't think that's very helpful. So it's just acknowledging it. And mm-hmm. then some people say, well, then it starts talking again, five minutes later. And <laughs> then I'm like, well, then you need to acknowledge it again. And right. I often liken it to uh, learning a new language. Mm-hmm. And I, between high school and college, I probably took about six years of Spanish, and I have not practiced it. Mm-hmm. I have not been, you know, seeking out Spanish-speaking pe- people over the last decade or more, mm-hmm. and all I know how to say is me gusta los discos." <laughs> I like record players, which does me
0: no good, right? So, really I think I really do doesn't do you me know. much good right now. <laughs> Especially not in 2018.
1: No. But it's It's because I have not practiced it. I used it for a little bit and then that's it. So it's the same with this. It's the same about acknowledging your inner critic and practicing a new language. If you're ready to move on to self-compassion, then by all means, I practice self-compassion around some areas of my life and other areas I don't. So I can talk about that more if you want, but it just, my, my point is you have to keep at it.
0: Yes, you do. And I, I, Uh, the reason why I had changed the metaphor to, you know, who's driving your bus is obviously kids don't drive. So, you know, they're putting them in a car. But I also love the idea that there's, there can be multiples, you know, your inner critic can sort of (laughs) clone itself and, you know, feels, can feel very loud um, when you're, you know, when you're going along in life and it's, it kind of keeps popping up and, and reappearing. So when we can acknowledge that it's there and see it as something separate then we're able to you know know that it's not our actual voice that's speaking to us it's it's something else and when we then we identify it we can move forward a little bit better um i like the idea of you know just acknowledging it each time but that idea of it being neutral that you don't feel like you have to you know get into a fight with it that it's just oh there you are there you are again uh, yeah. yeah.
1: And, and and also you don't have to go down a path of, uh, you know, sometimes we don't have time to get out our journal and journal on it. Sure. And, you know, how do you want to speak to yourself? Because it would be great if we had the time and space every time that happened to turn it around and speak compassionately to ourselves. And the truth of the matter is, is that you, we all leave very busy lives and we just don't have time. I don't. And so for me personally, is that I, I pick when I do have the time and space, and especially the areas. So for me, and I'm sure for most of your listeners, one of the areas that I tend to be hard on myself is parenting. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget, there was one time where, so my son uh, is on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. And this was in, I believe it was first or second grade when we were having a really hard time at school. And I had just left an IEP meeting. And you know, for anyone who's ever been in one, or even if your child isn't on the spectrum, if you've had a hard meeting at school with Mm -hmm. administrators and teachers, sometimes we walk away from those meetings feeling like, a failure as a parent and that that was the voice that was going on in my head. And I was also telling myself things like I should be advocating for him more. I haven't even done one of those autism five K's and, (laughs) and just coming up with all of these things that I was doing wrong as a parent. And thus, you know, we go to worst case scenario. Right. And I was, I remember I was at a red light and I stopped myself and I was like, okay, wow, that I just went off the rails there for a minute. And I just told myself, I am actually doing the best I can, right? I am doing the best that I can. And it's not coming up with excuses or anything like that. But it is it I love my son more than anything, just like all of you listening, and it we are doing the best that we can. Mm -hmm. And so that that to me is self compassion. And that's that that area of my life is the one that I really try to work on being compassionate with myself versus beating myself up.
0: Such an important tool in life, and sometimes hard to do, but uh, I, th- I appreciate that as as a tool to put into our arsenal, but also to teach our kids Now you mentioned f- fourteen habits in your book, and that we need to tune into these so that we can stop feeling terrible and start becoming you know, sort of happy and fulfilled people that we're destined to become, hopefully. So coping with your inner critic is one of them, but what are some of the other key habits that we're hoping to stop doing? I think, you know, I always think about the person's audience Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) when I'm answering that question, because it might vary depending on whom I'm talking to. And I I think, honestly, another one that is universal is numbing out. Mm -hmm. And we... Don't want to feel like come over into the deep end of the pool with me for a minute, Robin and, mm-hmm. and all the listeners. But that whole chapter is about feeling your feelings mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. and I know this. You know, I I half joke that for a long time I was the mayor of Numb Your Feelings Town, <laughs> and for me it looked um, all of my twenties. It looked like pretty severe codependence mm-hmm. and love addiction.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure, which I
1: didn't realize until I was about thirty, and then. I read a book on it, and I was like, "Oh my god, this woman woman wrote the story of my life." Mm-hmm. And you know, I healed from that, and then I was in and out of an eating disorder in my twenties. And then, I when my kids were really little, as I had, was healing with those things, my drinking picked up, and uh, it was not long after that that I decided I needed to get sober because I was I was starting to drink alcoholically, mm-hmm. and even way before that, I was thinking alcoholically since mm-hmm. probably my late teens. So, mm-hmm. so I definitely know what it's like to be emotionally illiterate. Mm-hmm. And that's what, mm. that's what I call who, how I was for a long time. I did not know how to truly feel my feelings. Um, I also had very little emotional boundaries. And so I think that when we are like that, which is a lot of people, we numb out. It is too difficult to feel. And that might not necessarily be with probably the most famous <laughs> alcohol and food. Mm-hmm. For me, it was also clothes. Mm-hmm. You know spending, but typically m- most often clothes and um and busyness now mm-hmm. now now that's
0: one I have to watch out for Ugh, I think we all do, don't we right yeah. <laughs> yes. emotional illiteracy i I think that's genius, I love that idea not only for um other people not being able to read other people but our own selves i I think that's so interesting, and the idea that we're. Numbing ourselves, you know, so that we're not feeling also makes it so we're hiding our feelings, even from our own selves and and kind of kidding ourselves. So I think that's a very important one. And understanding that that can also translate from a parent to a child, you know, a child who throws themselves into constant activities uh, or is you know, constantly busy or with friends, or they may not be, you know, sitting with themselves and feeling what they're supposed to be feeling so that, you know, they can kind of move forward in their lives. So that's an that's an interesting one. One of the habits that you mentioned in the book that is detrimental to our own habits is the desire to please others. And I think that that hits the nail on the head for a lot of people, what you refer to this dog and pony show.
1: Mm-hmm. And as
0: our, our young girls are often taught at a very young age, you having a daughter, I have a daughter, many of us have, you know, girls in our lives that are in elementary school or middle school or high school. And many of them you know, feel the need to be liked, that they need to please others, even if that means not pleasing themselves. So I would like to put some high beams on this for a moment. So if there was a girl in front of you, maybe it's your daughter, maybe it's, maybe it's not, maybe it's you know, a coaching client's daughter, maybe it's my daughter, and you found that she was repeatedly pleasing others and sort of pushing out her own needs or wants aside, what would you say to her?
1: I would want to have a conversation with her, I think, versus say anything to her. And I would get really curious and help her get curious because she probably doesn't even realize she's doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was probably the case for many of us growing up. And I don't mean to stereotype, but I'm going to. But <laughs> we, as women, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we are, we are, and this is a, a cultural thing. You know, we are, we are brought up to put our needs before others and to be the nurturers, to be the one who takes care of everything at a high cost. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that cost being ourselves and sometimes that cost being our values and, and what we really want to do. So I would just get really curious and, and ask her, did you really want to say yes to that?
0: Mm-hmm. And if
1: she says yes, like why, why do you tell me what, what's in it for you? Tell me mm-hmm. what you're getting out of mm-hmm. saying yes to that project or that person. And, and really just helping her kind of, Untangle it and and unpack it because again, I think that we get so used to it We
0: don't even Mm -hmm. realize that we don't want to do it. (laughs) Absolutely. I just a little literally just had this conversation with somebody this morning at the gym Just this conversation She said to me she sort of got roped into doing something at at her child's school uh, Mm -hmm. That she really didn't want to do somebody else dropped the ball and and, you know Somebody came to her and asked her to fill in and you know, she's like I do this conversation Constantly. I did not want to do it, but of course I did it. And then she, and her kid is not even going to be at her the school next year and so i had joked playfully with her that they're going to call her again next year and she goes and i'll say yes because i, I am a sucker for any event, even if i don't have the time and you know it were not i wasn't even supposed to be there in the first place so i'm guessing that you're going to say that if we are doing that as parents that it will translate quite easily to our children, even if we don't say anything. So what do we do about that? Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. So I want to ask that lady.
1: And and I would I would I think an adult could answer this. You know, what are you afraid might happen if you say no? Oh, such a good question. What is she, I can probably, we can answer. Right, like somebody won't
0: <laughs> like us. They think we're, yep. you know, all high and mighty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That you think you have a life that you need to We're afraid of,
1: of people not liking us. We're afraid of having a, a bad reputation. Yes. I was just writing about this this morning. So this is kind of another angle how this works is that I had to write an email telling, somebody was dropping the ball on something Mm -hmm. and and I had to have a conversation with this person saying like, hey, you're doing this and it's not working. We need a better solution. And I started the email and I started the email by saying, I don't mean to be a diva about this. Oh, Lord. Which can, and I'm reading what I just wrote and I was like, oh my God, here I go. And it's not that I was apologizing or or people, but I was people pleasing, you know, and I was, it's like a roundabout way of saying it. And the truth of it is, if I ask myself that same question, what am I afraid of? If I don't say if I don't preface the email with, Mm -hmm. I don't mean to be a pain in the butt about this. What I'm actually saying is, please don't be angry with me. Mm -hmm. Please don't think I'm hard to work with. Please don't think I'm too demanding. Mm -hmm. And this is something we face as females. <laughs> and, oh my gosh, don't get me started, Robin. <laughs> I know, I
0: know, look, I know, we could do like an entire podcast, on <laughs> Um uh, I, I just presented not long ago in, in Florida, and uh, we were talking about, you know, creating buy-in uh, in your, th- these businesses that work with, with children. And, uh, you know, we were, <laughs> I said, why is it that we often do not give feedback to our employees who are working, you know, with kids or why don't we give the feedback that they need? Not just, you know, obviously not just the positive, but also the negative. What stops us? And I'm going through all the barriers and then on my slide I, you know, circle pleasing and then I have like five arrows pointing to it because I know that it is it 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 stops us in our tracks in our personal life. And in our professional life, we're so afraid that people aren't going to like us that we, we go down the wrong path. We, we don't say what we need to say. We say things we don't even mean, and right. then it, it, can, it can backfire. But we'll deal with that, too, just right. to make sure that everybody else is happy.
1: Well, we're used to it, and this this goes pretty deep, Robin. I work so I work with women on the topic of shame. Mm-hmm. I am certified to do it; like mm-hmm. I, I I've been trained because this is such a big topic. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody really loves talking about shame, right? Right. But what this actually is, if you break this down, I, I geek out on this. So oh, I'm liking forget. it already. I'm so excited. I, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm pulling my sleeves up. I just pulled my sleeves up and put my hair in a ponytail I, because like <laughs> this is, I love this work. Because I've gotten I, like, closer to, to the layers. microphone so I can hear you better. <laughs> Okay, because we all have these ways of being that we do not want to be perceived by other people. These are our triggers. Mm-hmm. For women, typically, we don't want to be perceived as demanding or um, hard to work with, aggressive, et cetera. And so when we say no, or when we give feedback that's less than stellar, mm-hmm. or you know any of those things that make us feel like we're being hard to work with, mm-hmm. then that, that can Elicit shame in us, mm-hmm. and that's what we are running away from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, and the thing is, is like you were saying, you know, we do this for decades, decades until what I say in the intro of my book is I say these habits work until they don't. Mm-hmm. That's me paying homage to a saying from the rooms of recovery. Mm-hmm. That saying is it works until it doesn't, mm-hmm. and people pleasing works until it doesn't, mm-hmm. and. Many of the women, especially that come to work with me privately, get to a point where they are
0: done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you're like, all right, honey, let's go.
1: (laughs) It's not about, I think there's a misconception that saying no or setting a boundary is mean or too assertive or, you know, I I won't use the B word, but we all know what that word is. Right. And that's, you can still set a boundary and you can still give feedback that isn't. Positive Mm -hmm. with kindness and grace and honesty. Yes, Yes. and and even gratitude. Mm -hmm. And what it's really on them how they receive it. You are responsible for your intention, not your, um, not your reception. And these are some hard lessons to learn, though. Mm -hmm. These are big.
0: This is great. Um, And before we get to the top tip, I'm going to ask you one more question about your habits, just because I find this so intriguing, and you know, I think that uh everybody listening is also, you know, going, yeah, that's me, that's me. So another area that you discuss, I think is not only common with adults but also very much with teens, the sort of go away and leave me alone habit. <laughs> um and it's not just about that in that case it's not numbing, it's literally like shutting people out and and basically coping with your heavy load by yourself. So why do you find this to be detrimental and how can key adults in our kids lives so ourselves our coaches our teachers how can they help our kids to choose mentorship assistance uh, a compassionate ear instead of hiding and trying to cope with the heavy load themselves
1: I think that I think the reason we are here is because we sort of wear that as a badge of honor. Mm. You know, we see the memes on Pinterest and all around the internet of like, don't care what anybody thinks of you. And the I call it the zero Fs mentality. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I get on board, I get the sentiment. You know, it, it's go after what you want. Don't be bogged down. Don't be a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't be bogged down sure. by other people's opinions and criticism, et cetera, or the fear of failure. But I think what it points to is black or white thinking and that we either, You know, are a people pleaser, or we don't care what anybody thinks of us. We can do it all on our own. You know, the whole like, I don't need no man. I'm an independent woman. Mm -hmm. That, and the thing is, we do need people. Mm -hmm. We need people very much, and it's about the right people. So I think, as far as teenagers, is is just keep reiterating that you are there to listen, because what I and again, I'm not the expert on teenagers, but what I hear over and over again that teens say and I, I remember feeling this way as a teen, is, is no one's listening to me. Absolutely. And I mean, I the studies that, even
0: say that, that, that they perceive that they do not have at least three people they can turn to in a time of need or challenge when it comes to adults, and that the adults they talk to won't necessarily believe them or be helpful. That's the, right. that's the research.
1: And my, my guess is that what they are facing when they do reach out is they're met with a lot of advice that they never asked for.
0: Absolutely. Did <laughs> you get it right? I'm like
1: totally guessing.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, they, get, they, they were like, I was just looking to, you know, unload. But also yeah, the advice sometimes stinks.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that teenagers are smart enough. Like if they want advice, they will ask for it. They mm. are not two and three years old. Mm-hmm. They're, they have the capacity to ask for it when they need it. It's like, this
0: is my and, opinion, though, and I want you to have it. That's, you know. Because I know better.
1: <laughs> and we might know better. Yes. <laughs> right? We've been through and it. I can imagine as a parent, again, mine are only 10 and 8, but that has got to be excruciating, to have your child come to you and say this is going on, and you have so much good advice and wisdom for them, and to not give it. No. So that's right. why I think, and I, I, like you said, a mentor or someone else who doesn't have the tight emotional attachment yes. than you do as their parent.
0: So important. Like thank goodness for our, you know, the kids' coaches and our kids' teachers, you know, and we have many of them in our listening audience because. It's a multitude of key adults, and one of the things that we have to acknowledge is that we are not always as parents the correct key adults to advise our kids that sometimes the best thing we can say is, you know whose help could you could could you use right now? How can I help bridge the gap between you and X person so that you get the advice that you need because you're just not always the best person because you have so much emotional stake, as you said. Yeah. And
1: I think that the reason that I think I guess right is because this is the same for adult relationships mm-hmm. as teens, because we most of the time, and, and this was, I had this, this was hard in my marriage. So, my husband is a fixer. He has an engineer's brain. If I come to him with a problem, he immediately is strategizing when yes. I'm only two sentences in about yes. how we're gonna fix it. Yes. And I start, I would get so frustrated, and I know this This is a common complaint yes. in, in yeah. partnerships, but I, now I preface conversations. And if I don't need any advice, which is honestly Robin, like 95% of the time, mm-hmm. then I preface it and I say, something happened today. And I'm super, you know, insert feeling here about it. And I would, l- I don't need any help. I don't need any advice. It just, I just need like 10 minutes of your time. So he knows that that is like, put your phone down, eye contact, listen, and you know, and I've we've been through some hard stuff together. My father passed away not that long ago and some, you know, and and I might have had a really hard grief day. And Mm. I just needed to tell him how my day went and how hard it was. My husband can't take away that grief for me. There's nothing he can say that can that can help me. But what actually does help is telling another human being that I trust and that we have this already created emotional relationship together. That's it. That's that's all I want. And that's connection. That's the human right. love and connection and trust and intimacy. Well,
0: and that's what we're looking for. And what a beautiful way of you know, of, of honoring your feelings and yourself and, and making sure that, the, I mean, the, t- the tip there is, is not only to be able to you know, go to somebody and, and have a, a friend or a mentor or a teacher or a sounding board, whoever it is, but that you can actually be proactive in telling them what you need. I don't huh. need your advice right now. I just need a listening ear. Um, or as a parent or a coach, you know, to ask somebody, do you need my advice right now? Or do you just want me to listen? Because that can be extremely powerful as well.
1: Asking the question, how can I support you right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of, my, one of my colleagues says, how can I be awesome for you right now? Oh, like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, so important. What great work that you are doing and I like that you're you know, isolating these habits so that we can kind of pay attention to each one of them and and see how they're plaguing our lives and and or having a role in our lives perhaps in a negative way. So before we wind up everything, can you just give us your top tip? What is your top tip so that we can stop feeling really bad? and Mm -hmm. start feeling really good as good as it can be we can start embracing happiness and hopefully we can teach our kids how to do the same
1: well i have so many and i I never want people to walk away from these podcasts feeling too overwhelmed so i'm going to circle back to what we talked about and sort of and really underscore it and give away a tangible thing for people to do and that's and that's listening to your inner critic And when you find yourself, because I know what's going to happen to everybody this week, you're going to go on with your week and you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, you know, there it is, especially I think if you're on social media and find yourself comparing. Mm. And my tip is to ask yourself what stories you're making up about yourself based on what you're seeing online, based on that comparison, based on whatever your inner critic is saying, based on what you're feeling. What stories are you making up about yourself? Mm. And Mm. just get curious about it.
0: Mm oh, so interesting, right, that you're in some way subpar, right? That's what's going on in our heads so often. And being able to isolate the exact feeling or the stories that we're saying to ourselves, then we can say, wait a second, is that really true? you know, am I actually talking the truth right to myself? It's so important. Sometimes
1: it's a runaway train of a story. I know it is for me. Yes. And like that example, I was giving, you know, thinking about me not being good enough advocate for my son. And I was thinking all the way out into high school. And what's this life? No, that's how far I went. Oh my gosh.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. My one of my best friends, (laughs) she's like, your son, your daughter, they're not going to have a bad life because of what just happened. Like, that's just not going to happen. But it, it it does wind up, you know, get, gaining so much traction and the wheel gets so much bigger, you know, building up all this body and, and just goes running away with itself. You're absolutely right. And it is it's important to stop that in its tracks. And I know that when you're in, in the story that you were talking about, that you were in the car and you were like, wait a second, I need to stop right here. What an important thing to kind of take hold of the runaway train and saying, OK, let let me unpack this for a moment and see what's really happening. That's great. So give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to find out more about you or your book or any of the other things that you're doing right now?
1: Best way to find me is at yourkickasslife.com. and I am I like to hang out on Instagram and and engage with people over there. So I'm at that same handle, your kickass life, over on Instagram.
0: Ooh, so perfect because I recently got on Instagram.
1: No, I just followed you. <laughs> I'm
0: so excited. I mean, it was it's so recent, uh, but I am having such a good time. People are so responsive, and they say the nicest things. Like I honestly, I was like, I knew nothing about this until you know a few <laughs> weeks back, and we're all, like, oh wait. Well, like, so- What's what have I been missing? There's nice people on Instagram. I like it. (laughs) So I I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. I you know, when I was thought about who can I interview that I think is just going to just, you know, spread some warm cheer but give us some really concrete tools. I thought of you and this new book because it it really does give us Some concrete things to think about, the habits, but also some key tools and takeaways to help us in our own lives. And I always love layers where what we're learning can apply to us, but it also can apply to the next level, whether it's employees or to our children, um, and then go down the line. You sort of pass on the tool the more that we uh, model it but also discuss it so thank you so very much for being on the show today
1: oh thanks for having me it's been super fun
0: oh good i had fun too well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. We can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page. We can chat about it at DrRobinSilverman.com. We just talked about Instagram, so you can get me on Dr. Robin Silverman or Twitter.com slash DrRobin. And if you love this podcast like I did, and I hope you got some really good tools and takeaways you can use right away and discuss with your kids, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can hear about about these great tools that Andrea has talked about and get her book. All right, that's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's some great podcasts up there, awesome show notes from this show so that you can look at the quotes. I mean, this was like a quotable one. We got all kinds of great quotes up there, great ideas. And there's links to the book and to the website for Andrea Owen. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, we all have them. We have all been there. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet, sweet sanity. Please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. You really are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.